We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. March has arrived and we are only weeks away from the big tournament. Yes, that tournament. Make sure to head to Bet Online and open an account today to get in on their $100,000 Bracket Madness Contest starting March 15th. That's right. I said $100,000 in March 15th. You don't need to be hardcore to get in on the action and with multiple entries available, it's this season's best chance to cash in. And remember, the NBA and XFL are still going strong, so whatever your passion is, Bet Online is the place to be for all your betting needs. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner Bet Online to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure to use that promo code BLUEWIRE. All one word, Blue Wire, for your 50% sign up bonus. Bet online, your online sports book experts. We're talking the 2020 NFL Combine on Roto Viz Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to RotoViz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at RotoViz. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, the editor of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. And actually, I should say the editor in chief, Matt. We don't want to forget that part, right? Uh yeah, it's totally fine. It's almost as if you're doing the show without a script. <laughs> it is almost as if I'm doing a show without a script. Uh, and that is because I feel like this episode does not need a script. When we are talking with the Combine, uh, just the exuberance that's going to flow from ourselves, you know, no script is required. Yeah, uh, sure, whatever. Um, no, but it's, uh, man, the, the Combine was, it was pretty exciting. And uh, we're recording this 
Sunday night. And uh, yep. I believe all of the uh, the cornerbacks and safeties have done their on-field drills. So I think the combine at this point is officially over. Yeah, I believe that is correct. Yep. Um, we are going to talk about quarterbacks and running backs this episode, but if you wanted to take a minute, if there were any players outside of running back, quarterback, wide receiver, tight end that you wanted to mention, uh, you can do so now. No, I mean, some of the defenders looked pretty cool, but uh, I mean, whatever. They're on the defensive side of the ball. Defense doesn't matter. Let's talk about the uh, offensive guys. Okay, let's start with quarterback. Um, A hot topic is always the hand size of these quarterbacks. (laughs) Joe Burrow comes in with a nine inch hand size. Are you concerned about that at all? No, Um, there was a pretty good episode on the uh, ESPN Daily podcast this last week. Uh, where Mina Kimes was talking with one of the ESPN writers. <coughs> Sorry, I've still got this lingering cough. It won't go away. Uh, Mina Kimes was talking with one of the ESPN writers uh, about Joe Burrow's hand size in a study he did where, uh, of course, he found that there was effectively no correlation between hand size and NFL success. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty much like a, a checkmark type of, type of thing. Like, as long as you don't have, like, four-inch hands. Like, as long as you can actually grip a football uh, regardless of how how large your hand is otherwise, uh, as long as you can basically do that, you have hands that are large enough. So uh, nine inch hands, I'm not worried about it with Joe Burrow. I believe Patrick Mahomes had hands that were nine and a quarter, which I mean, that's like basically the same thing. And by the way, like there's no, um, I think like uniform measurement for how to measure hand sizes. Like diff- they do it differently at different pro days. I think like the combine, it's not the same way that they measure the hands as um what they do at uh, the senior bowl, for instance. So it's just, you know, like hand size, even if they could measure it in a uniform way that was, you know, like perfect. um, We still, I think, wouldn't have any evidence that hand size matters. Yeah. I mean, I think outside of somebody that might have, you know, like a six inch hand size where it's going to be hard for them to actually grasp the ball. We would have weeded that out a long time ago. Right. Um, So Joe Burrow, despite the uh, small hands, does not participate in any of the drills. Um, I don't think that really impacts anything for him. And in fact, it might have been a good decision uh, as it prevents any potential questions about his athleticism from surfacing. Yeah, I mean, he's going to, I don't even know if he's going to run the 40-yard dash at LSU's Pro Day. I don't think it matters because like people aren't looking at him as, like looking at him as if he's a quarterback who needs to be fast. He's not like, you know, like he's a pocket passer. He's not like Jalen Hurts, where it's like uh, an important part of his game will probably be his ability to run. And so his athleticism matters in that department a little bit more. Right. Like, I don't think anybody's going to care about Joe Burrow's 40, even if he came out and ran like a 5-1. The slowest time uh, of the quarterbacks that did participate, I think, was Jake Fromm at a 5.01, which is fine. Um, for yeah. most passers. So, you know, not something that really matters. But let's take a minute to talk about Jalen Hurts. Um, obviously, a quarterback that had tremendous production at a number of schools, being Alabama and Oklahoma, which I thought was pretty impressive, doesn't profile as the purest passer. As you mentioned, will likely be sought after by teams for his athleticism. He runs the 40 at a 4.59, which for quarterbacks is a pretty good time. Do you think that helps his stock at all? Oh, yeah. And um, because, I mean, a part like he is going to have to be 
someone who contributes in the running game in the NFL. And so his athleticism, um, I mean, whether it's like a, a four, six, he ran 4.5 or whether it's like a four, six or like a four, seven, like, I don't think that really matters so much, but uh, the 4.59 is impressive. Um, you know, it puts him 95th in ninety like, fifth percentile yeah, quarterbacks. I mean, it puts him in, in like Russell Wilson territory. I think Wilson uh, Wilson ran like a four point five five at you know around like the same weight. Um, yeah, I think hurts and not only the forty time. Like he he did well. Like reportedly in the interviews, uh, he did well throwing the ball. Like I think yep. he might have moved from like a third rounder to a second rounder. Yeah, well, I think also if you're looking for an athletic quarterback, he participated in the vertical and the jump, 85th percentile vertical, um, 97th percentile broad jump. You combine that with some of the non-athletic measurables, like you mentioned with the interviews, and then you also add in his college profile. And I can see how there could be teams that are looking for a quarterback in his profile. They're going to go for him athletically, some good athletic comps for him. You see players like Geno Smith. And um, I should mention this is in the Rotoviz combine Explorer, which I updated last night with all of the results. So you have Geno Smith, Deshaun Watson, um, Marcus Mariota. So I think that, like you said, he did improve his, his draft stock. Um, outside of Hertz, any quarterbacks that you thought made large jumps up the board? Uh, no, because so someone who was impressive was Justin Herbert. He ran a 4.68. Um, and you know, like he has a cannon of an arm. So like he looked good throwing the ball, but, uh, I think people were surprised by how athletic he was. Like that wasn't something that like people were really counting on from him. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe it suggests you actually could use him a little bit more as a runner if you wanted to, but, uh, I don't think it moves him any further up the board because like he was already going to be drafted probably in the top six, like I'd say for sure. Top 10. Right. Uh, I don't want to take too much time on quarterback, but I will ask if there's any other quarterbacks that you want to mention before we transition to running back. Um, like Jordan love has gotten some first round hype and I should say like, so three things. One, um, for a guy who's supposed to be super athletic, the 4.74 was pretty underwhelming, um, especially like being outrun by Justin Herbert when Herbert is considered a non-athlete and you are considered an athlete. Like that's a that's a pretty bad look for uh, for Jordan Love, especially considering that Herbert is the bigger guy. Uh, so that's one. Uh, two, um, I just I don't see it with Jordan Love, you know, like, yeah. I, I don't think he belongs in the first round conversation, but uh, I guess I should say three, like every year there's a, a quarterback. I don't think who should be a first rounder who ends up being a first rounder. Daniel Jones last year, Josh Allen, the year before that, it really could be Jordan love this year. Like he could sneak into the first round. I just, I don't buy it. Yeah. Uh, only a 14th percentile shuttle 38th percent cone, which if you're a quarterback that you're trying to make a case is athletic enough that it increases your draft stock you you pretty much missed the mark there and then 74th percentile 40 yard dash which isn't terrible but i i agree with your points um i am not in love with jordan love uh no pun intended there for me really the only quarterbacks that i'm paying a lot of attention to are Tua, and of course joe burrow but let's move over to running back um, which I think might be the funnest position to review the combine results for. And uh, 
Let's just start with Jonathan Taylor, who a lot of people have now said is their number one absolutely tremendous college production and an impressive combine. Uh, let me let me frame it to you first, just to put some perspective before we look at the numbers. How much did he move up in your mind, given his strong combine performance? Yeah, he it's tough. So I still don't think he belongs in the first round for like the actual NFL draft. Um, I really don't think any running back belongs there, but we might see one or two and he like, he might be one of them now. Um, But for, you know, like for the actual draft and also for rookie drafts, I have him behind Dondre Swift and um, like I had him behind Swift entering the combine and I still have him behind Swift exiting the combine. And like, I have to say, I totally understand if anyone wants to have Taylor as the number one player on the board, he was awesome. He was uh, like Adrian Peterson esque just in terms of like his size and speed uh, profile. Uh, And then also in terms of the production that he had at Wisconsin. Um, But you know, the Peterson uh, comparison extends to his pass catching he was a better receiver his uh, final season in college, but he's not um, the polished receiver that Swift is. And Swift still did enough at the combine, um, I believe, still to be the number one pick. You know, he was a five-star yeah. recruit uh, entering college for a very good reason because he was a complete back. He was 212 pounds at the combine and ran a 4.48. Like, that is very respectable. Um and he's, I think, if not the best pass catching back in the draft, one of them. Uh, and I think, you know, that matters more than straight line speed. So I still have Swift as the number one, but it's it's really like those two as the top two picks for me. OK, I hear you there. So Jonathan Taylor, 21 years old, 95th percentile, 40 yard dash. He ran a four. 3.9, which translates to an incredible speed score of 122. Now, you and I have talked a lot on the show about how speed score is such an important metric to us for running backs. For those of you unfamiliar with speed score, what it does is it looks at a player's 40 time in comparison to the player's size. So running a 4.39 at 226 pounds is an impressive feat for running backs. Only 27th percentile on the bench, 68% vertical jump, 80% broad, a shuttle of 54th percentile, 59th percentile three cone, um, an above 50th percentile agility score looks to be pretty explosive. If you look at his comps in the Combine Explorer, you see Ladanian Tomlinson. Now, these are athletic comps, not including production. Ryan Matthews, Doug Martin, Julius Jones, Joseph Adai. Nick Chubb, those are the impressive ones. You also see players like Royce Freeman, Ben Tate, uh, Kalen Bellage, players that never did put it together, more or less. But if you're looking at the positives in that athletic profile, like you mentioned with um, some people comparing him to Adrian Peterson, there are reasons to be positive. I can see why people move him up to their number one spot. I might be tempted to do so. Um but it sounds like for you, you're just not convinced that he's going to be able to be as well-rounded of a player as DeAndre Swift. Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, he okay. could he could be, but I just have more conviction with Swift. Got it. So, as you said, Swift did actually put together 
what should be considered a pretty decent combine. Um, hold on, let me just get that up. So his 40 time was a 4.48, vertical of 35 and a half, broad jump of 121. Didn't actually participate in a large amount of drills, but like you said, that 40 time is still good enough that it should energize, I think, some people about his prospects. It's still an 80th percentile 40-yard dash, speed score of 105, um, 61st vertical, 67% broad. So I think he showed that the requisite athleticism is there. It's just going to be a matter of how much teams value his all-around skill set. Do you think that he goes in round one? I think he might. Um, I, it's so hard to know for running backs because I really don't think any team absolutely needs a running back. Yep. Uh, so it's just, it's hard to know. The thing is like, this was, I, I okay, so I've redone the rankings for, uh, you know, what I have is like my top 40 rookies for, uh, for Dynasty. And uh, in the first, you know, like quote unquote, way too early rankings that I did in January, I had maybe like six or seven players who were underclassmen who I expected to declare who didn't declare. And that really thinned out this class. Like now it's just a really, it's still a great class, but like this could have been an all time class if those guys had decided to declare. Um, And so what that means is that the running back position is the one that really got hit with running backs, you know, like maybe like four uh, or five pretty decent running backs going back to college. Um, the depth of the class is thinned out at the position. And so like, it's uncertain if a team will reach for a running back a little bit sooner, just because it, they can't get like the same quality of player that they otherwise would have been able to get in round three or round four. Yes. Um, I hear you there. Uh, so it actually will create an interesting situation next year's class, I think. Um, you ready to move on, though, to some of the, the names that are not Taylor and not Swift? Yeah. So Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I want to bring up uh, for a kind of an interesting reason. He's a back that I thought I might really like if he had a strong performance at the Combine. Unfortunately, turns in a 38th percentile 40-yard dash, which is a 4.6. This is a player that's 5'7", 207. Translates to a speed score of 92. A bench press that was the 11th percentile. However, a vertical jump of 92% or 92nd percentile, an 80th percentile broad. So an odd athletic profile. But when you look at his athletic comparables, you see something interesting. A lot of these players never actually found their way into significant playing time, but those that did performed very well. So you have Aaron Jones, Devin Singletary, a player who I was down heavily on because of his speed score, really kind of proved me wrong in his rookie season. You also have uh, Devonta Freeman, Brian Westbrook, Duke Johnson, Maurice Jones-Drew. Now, some of this relates to the restriction on finding players that are similar in stature to him. But nonetheless, he's left with the highest points per game of seasons one through three of his comps out of any player in this class, which I find particularly interesting. How do you sit now that we see this 92 speed score for Clyde Edwards Hilaire. 
Yeah, it's he's a lot slower than I thought he would be, but I still don't know if that matters. Um, because as you say, like we have seen, and you see it in his comps, that the smaller guys who actually make it to the NFL, um, even even if they're slower, you know, like Devontae Freeman ran a four point five eight, like a super similar size. Um, they can still have success. And I think a part of it is because, uh, Edwards Alaire really might be the best receiving back in this class. Uh, and so like one that, that, you know, gives him more versatility in terms of how he'll be used in the NFL. But then two, like, I think it speaks to like a wider skill set. Like he might be a better football player than people think. Like Brian Westbrook ran a 4.59 or something like that. Like he was really slow for a guy yeah. who was, you know, like 5'8", 200 pounds. That, that's really close to what Edwards Alaire is. Um, I mean, it's never, I never feel comfortable comparing guys to players that I think are kind of outliers. But I don't know, as you say, like there really aren't all that many guys who are like that size and have his like athletic profile, but the ones that we see, I don't know, man, they're actually pretty decent. Like, I still think he has a, like, like Devin Singletary last year. I think he has a pretty good chance of being selected on day two, you know, whether right. it's, you know, round two or round three. Yep. And, um, you know, a mistake I made last year was, uh, pushing Devin Singletary further down the draft board than my post draft model actually dictated. Like he was one of the guys I went in and manually adjusted and was like, no, I'm moving him down the board. I'm underweighting what his draft position indicates. And like, that was a massive mistake. And so I don't want to make that mistake again with Edwards Alaire. Um, You know, like right now I still have him. I really haven't bumped him down. I haven't bumped him up. Um, I just kind of have to wait and see, but if he does get drafted on day two, I probably need to treat him with respect because like that draft position means something. Yeah. I think the, the difference here as well, though, I think Singletary is a very useful player to kind of compare with, uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire is that we're looking at a player that went to a small school versus one that played at LSU. So I think it's a little bit easier to buy into the player that went to LSU versus the one that amassed tremendous production, albeit at a school that may not have been facing as competitive of competition. But I do think that the point stands from last year of being careful to make adjustments um, if it's not what the model is saying. Let's move on, though, to A.J. Dillon. Bit of a monster back out of Boston College. Uh, six feet, 247 pounds. Runs a 4.5340, which is a speed score of 117. Something you really like to see out of these backs that are very large. That straight line speed. But also pretty strong. 76th percentile on the bench press. 97th percentile vertical jump. 98th percentile broad, which I think is impressive at that weight of 247 pounds and just six feet. Um, Before we talk about some of the comps, which there's a very obvious name at the top of it, how important is it to you that you saw him put up this speed score of 117? Oh, it was it was massively important. Um, I talked about it on the serious show, uh, you know, maybe a couple of weeks ago in in Dan Bach from Rotor Grinders gave me a little bit of grief, like all in good <laughs> fun. But, you know, I said like that for AJ Dillon, there were two questions like one, 
was he actually like 250 pounds? Like, what, like was he close to his listed size of six feet, 250 pounds? Uh, and then two, if he actually ended up being that big, like how fast was he? Like, was he going to be someone who, you know, like James Connor was in like the four, six, five range or something like that? Or was he going to, you know, be someone who actually had like significant athleticism attached with his size? And I said, if he, if he did, like he might be someone who goes on day two, like maybe like sneaks into round two. And that was the part that Dan thought was ridiculous. And I should say like, like, you know, I just have this affinity for running backs who are massive. So maybe I can't uh, really be objective about AJ Dillon. And I did grad school at Boston college. Although I don't think that really factors into the way I'm viewing him as someone coming out of Boston college. But um, yeah, he was, he was impressive. I already had him as the guy at the top of the second round for me uh, in rookie drafts. And he's moved up a little bit one because of uh, his, you know, athleticism at the combine. Uh, and then also because, you know, some of the guys I had ahead of him, just, they didn't enter the draft. So yeah. I think he's a low end first rounder at this point. Yeah. Um, if you had to guess who's his closest athletic comp, who would you say? Oh, it's Derrick Henry. Like, it there's, is. Yeah. That's like immediately what jumped yep. out and it's, it's the size. He's not as tall as Derrick Henry, but he has the weight. He has a super comparable 40 time. And it's not just that, like, I think they were pretty similar in their jumps too. So like they I mean, Henry is the clear doppelganger here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it bears out in the numbers and it bears out in just, um, if somebody asked you to come up with one where you would land, uh, to speak to the jumping numbers, uh, vertical of 79th percentile for Derek Henry, 96th percentile broad. Uh, so yeah, you were pretty, uh, pretty spot on there. Um, we're starting to get close on time, so I'm going to let you tell me if there's any running backs that we 100% have to talk about before we close out. Okay, so J.K. Dobbins didn't do okay. anything. Um, he's going to run his 40 time at Ohio State's Pro Day. He will be someone to track. Cam Akers uh, is someone I was already kind of high on. Um, he, he had relatively a disappointing career at Florida State, yep. but he had really nothing around him in the offense. And he was still pretty productive. As I've said, outside of his freshman year, there was a couple of seasons where he was playing with what had to be one of the most depleted, worst offensive lines in all of college football. Very honestly, had a number of players that had no business even playing Division One. Yeah, I digress. Yeah, no, and yeah, that's totally the case. And last year, in eleven games, he still put up you know over thirteen hundred yards and eighteen touchdowns. Like, I don't understand why people weren't higher on him to begin with. But, you know, now, obviously, uh, they are. He's 21 years old. He was a five-star recruit. He had, you know, great size at the combine, 217 pounds at, you know, 5'10". So, Mets, maybe that's not great size, but that's, like, right in the wheelhouse of, like, prototypical workhorse size for a running back. And then he had a 4.4740 time. Like, there's, there's nothing wrong with him. He had 30 receptions last year. Like he can, he can catch the ball better than most backs in this class. I don't know why people aren't talking about him. Like he should, he should go on day two in the NFL draft. He should go in the first round of rookie drafts. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, especially if you're able to remove everything that transpired after his first season, it's one of those cases where I do think there are mitigating factors, 
or excuse me, not mitigating factors, but there's factors that play into it that you do have a unique situation where you have to remove those. If you just focus on that freshman season, then you pair that with these athletic measurable speed score of 109, closest athletic comp, and also this athletic comp, the match, um, how strong the match is, is pretty strong. Top match is Marshawn Lynch. So that's a nice player to have in your profile. I just think it speaks to a player who you should definitely take that chance on in the first round, who I will not be passing up if I'm at, you know, maybe pick six, pick seven, depending on the receivers that have gone. Uh, okay, so that's Cam. Any other names? Yeah, you know, Benjamin really disappointed, um, but he's basically in the Clyde Edwards Alaire type of category. You know, 21 year old guy who was productive in college, uh, good pass catching back, uh, short. They were both 207 pounds, and then they both ran like a 4.57 to 4.6 in the 40 time. Um, I don't think people were expecting that at all from Benjamin. I think people were thinking, you know, maybe like around the 4.5 range, maybe in the four fours. Um, So he's someone to kind of go back and evaluate maybe, but uh, just kind of a weird performance from him. And then after that, like it it gets pretty thin. Uh, Zach Moss ran a 4.65. Um, that didn't really disappoint me because I didn't expect much from him to begin with. Like he was playing at Utah. It's not like Utah is recruiting a bunch of track stars. So, (laughs) you know, like 223 pounds, uh, a 4.65, like whatever. Like if, if you like him, the 40 time, I don't think changes anything. Um, so that's Moss. Some people really like him. And then someone else who stood out was, uh, Darrington Evans, who I hadn't really thought much about before, but, uh, Redshirt Jr. from Appalachian State. Not a big guy, 5'10", 203 pounds, but blazed with a 4.4140. Um, he's someone to to keep an eye on. Like I could see him being, you know, like drafted in round four and then getting a shot and actually doing something with it. Certainly. So I don't think that I any other names, any other names that I wanted to call out on here. Um on a scale from one to ten. Now that we've seen these combine numbers and you talked earlier about where you saw this class, let's say 10 is the best class that you've ever seen. Where do you think this falls? Yeah, it's tough. Like this, this class, the running backs, there's no depth to this class. You know, like it's very top heavy, like Swift, Taylor, Dobbins and Akers. Um, Like, I think that top four stacks up against a lot of best top fours out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but after that, and then throw AJ Dillon in there. I, I think yep. that's a really great top five of running backs. But then after that, it's super thin and there's, there's like no depth. So, uh, I, I don't know. Like, I think you, you maybe give this class at best, like a, a seven. It's just, it's hard to know. Like if you have a top pick, I think you're happy with one of the running backs you get. But, uh, after that, like there's no like David Johnson in this class is like a guy that you can get in the second round or something like that. You know, like there, there yeah, aren't yeah. the value running backs in this class. Yeah. You know, I was going to say, I think it's about a seven and I think what it's missing is some of those players like a Travion Williams, um, yeah. where they're not going to go super high, but you think that there could be massive potential. I'm just not really feeling that from some of these other names there. So I think it's yeah. hard to push it above a seven. Yeah. Well, this class is missing Travis Etienne, uh, Chuba Hubbard, Najee Harris, and Kylan Hill. Like that's what this class is missing. The, like the four really strong underclassmen who went back to college and just like submarined the draft stock that everyone thought this class would have. Yeah. Well, 
nonetheless, I am really looking forward, of course, to seeing which teams these players end up on. That takes us through running backs. Reminder to go to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast, get 10% off a subscription that is going to give you access to not only the Combine Explorer, but also the Prospect Box Score Scout, where you're going to be able to see every piece of information you'd want to see on these prospects, as well as comps that include collegiate production, which is very useful. Also, you can build in draft position. We have the running back prospect model, a lot of different things that you're really going to want to play around with in advance of your fantasy drafts. We will be back again later in the week. As always, make sure to rate, review, subscribe. You can follow on me you can follow me on Twitter at DaveCabinFF, Matt at MattFTheOracle, and send us a message at rotovizradio at gmail.com. And remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. And thanks to Bet Online for sponsoring the episode. Sugar Ray Leonard. Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.